1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. 1 Kings 18, 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and returned and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, go again, go again, seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that the servant said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And Elijah said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and with wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we consider this scripture. May we see things that we haven't seen before. May we see the faith of this man. And we ask, Lord, that you would replicate that in us. Bless, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I said this morning, the title of the message tonight is Faith for the Storm, which is quite different from faith in the storm. We may get to that message eventually, faith in the storm, but uh, not tonight. In this scripture, Elijah put his faith in God in order to receive a storm that was desperately needed. And right there, we could begin to make an application or two, practical applications. Without a doubt, spring rains and summer showers are usually good for the farmers and they certainly help our gardens. And despite what liberal politicians might say or promise, science does not have any control over the weather. Never will. We are not going to solve climate problems by legislation. We're not going to get a soaking rain because the president says we are, and we're not going to stop global warming either as far as that goes. Such things are in God's hands. Therefore, it is not unbiblical, it is not unscriptural to actually pray for rain. Leaving it, of course, in God's hands, he may not want us to have rain for three and a half years. Or then again, it may rain tonight. In addition to this, allegorically, we could look at rain as emblematic of any or even all of God's blessings. Hosea said to Israel, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness on you. We're not talking about rain here. We're talking about a blessing from God. We're talking about righteousness in this case. That's Hosea chapter 10 and verse number 12. Earlier, Hosea said, Come, 
Let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and, he shall give, and we shall live in his side. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come up unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. This is Hosea chapter 6. Metaphorically, rain can be used to speak of God's gifts as descending from heaven upon us. And we need those gifts. This is basically the purpose behind this series of lessons. Like so many others, our church has been torn and smitten over the years. It has been buffeted. It has been beaten up by the devil. There have been periods when it was almost lifeless for a while. When we saw very few people saved. Very few people baptized. We need to be healed. And the seed of the word has been preached all during that time, but it's been cast on dry and hard ground where there was no rain, there was no moisture from the Lord to germinate the seed. It is in desperate need of moisture. It is desperate need of the blessing of God. It is true. If we follow on to know the Lord, as we should, he shall come unto us as the rain as the latter and the former rain under the earth. That was Hosea. Ezekiel is the prophet who made the famous statement, there shall be showers of blessing. The only reason why it's famous, I suppose, is because we keep singing it all the time. There shall be showers of blessing, Ezekiel 34 and verse number 26. And again, that's talking about the special blessings of God. We need those showers. We need, we need a drenching rain, not just showers of God's blessing. We need the whole load. In what took place on Mount Carmel, we have an illustration of God's blessings on his needy people. As we saw in our last lesson, Elijah commanded the king of Israel, God, Elijah commanded the king of Israel to bring his false prophets to Mount Carmel. While you're at it, go get the prophets that your wife has imported from Zion, uh, Sidon and bring them to the mountain as well. And when they were there, Elijah challenged Satan's ambassadors to a duel. Call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And of course, the Lord put... Uh, uh, chains on the hands of uh, Satan and put a muzzle over his mouth and nothing happened with those false prophets. But the God of heaven, Jehovah, shouted down his, uh, his blessings on Israel. The fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice of Elijah, and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. After all those false prophets were executed, Elijah told Ahab, 
The three and a half years of drought that we have suffered, they're coming to an end right here and now. King Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, rejoice, celebrate if you like, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And then after his meal, prepare thy chariot, get thee down to Jezreel, that the rain stop thee not. What can we glean about practical faith from these few verses? When I first started thinking about it, I thought, are we going to have a full message here? Yes, we do. First, we see that faith can hear the unheard. Faith can see what is unseeable. Verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Keep in mind Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things unseen, unheard. We've read these verses, so we know how it's going to play out. We know what's going to happen here. If you didn't know it before, you do now. After the execution of the false prophets, there wasn't a single cloud in the, su- in the sky. Nothing. But Elijah, by faith, could see a storm coming. Couldn't see it with his eye, but by faith, he knew it was coming. And just as it had been for more than 40 months, there was not a drop of rain or the skim of dew on any dead blade of grass throughout all of Israel. But Elijah, by faith, could, uh, could feel the humidity coming up. Something's going to happen here. It may take another couple of hours, but Elijah heard the sound of a storm coming because he had his faith-powered hearing aids in. Here it comes, I hear it. Someone might say, well, since no one else could hear it, this obviously has nothing to do with practical faith. This is theoretical faith. This is theological faith. Like that of Hebrews 11.1. No. This is very practical because it is based on the word of the Lord. There's nothing more substantial than that. Elijah is talking about what God had already promised. He wasn't making this stuff up. He knew it was coming. The chapter began with God's commission. Elijah, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And that was good enough for the man of God. The man of faith did what he was told. If God said it, then that settles it. Let's move ahead. When we're first introduced to him in the earlier chapter, Elijah said to Ahab, There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. How could he be so confident? Is he hoping for it? Ah, he's expecting it. This was the confidence of a God-given commission accepted by faith. I'm going to do what you've told me, Lord, and I believe you're going to take care of it just as you have said. Thus saith the Lord. It takes great faith to say, 
Thus saith the Lord. Or, or am I mistaken? It could be both. I hope you understand what I mean. Would you like to have some direction in a major decision that you have to make? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given you. The Lord will not be angry with you. The Lord will not upbraid you. He will not judge you for asking his leadership in things. The Lord loves that sort of thing. He has promised to hear you, and he loves to hear you express your dependence on him. Lead me, Lord. I need your help. Show me your will. I'm ready to listen. I promise to do whatever you show me to do. That's faith. Is it hard? Yes, it is. Is it easy? Yes, it is. <laughs> You're in the middle of a trial which is beyond your physical strength to endure. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. If you listen carefully... If you listen really carefully, you can hear the sound of the reinforcements of the Lord to come and help you in this situation. Acts 2.11 When Peter was come to himself, when Peter finally woke up and realized what was going on, he said, Now of a surety I know that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Are you unsure how you're going to survive the current drought in which you find yourself? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Get up, eat and drink, Ahab, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. It's unlikely we will hear the sound of that rain unless we trust the Lord for him. We need practical faith in the omnipotent God. We can't settle for anything less. There are a lot of people who put faith in faith. Faith in their faith. That's not good enough. We need to put faith in the Lord. He heard the sound of rain coming. Faith did that. Victoria's faith is dependent on the Lord. Elijah had been given God's word. The Lord's promise was in place. He had every reason to believe there was rain coming. Nevertheless, what do we see him do? Come on, Ahab, get up. The rain is coming. And then Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Is this the posture of faith? Why not? What is the posture of faith? Elijah almost violently plopped down, sitting in the dust, and then he buried his face in his robe, which was then covering his knees. He separated himself from the world. If we can put it this way, he entered into his portable prayer closet. He's been shut off from the world now. 
And what did he do in that prayer closet? I believe that he poured out his heart to the Lord in faith. Despite the promise which God had given to him, his bodily eye and his physical ear could not see and could not hear any rain coming. Despite the promise of God, perhaps this wasn't the day the rain was supposed to come. It could be that it's supposed to come tomorrow. Elijah couldn't be absolutely sure, so he was beseeching the Lord to keep his promise, which was going to take place. But Lord, today would be a good day. Lord, send that rain right now. I just told Ahab it's on his way. Lord, send that rain. There's nothing wrong with explaining to the Lord the timetable that we think is appropriate. It's all right. But we have to be willing to step back and then let the Lord provide what is best in the best time, which is his time. Lord, I'd like to see it right now, but if you don't wish to do it right now, thy will be done. Remember that as Christians, you and I have a filial relationship to God. He is our father. We are his children. And if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask for a boiled egg, will he give him a scorpion? If ye then, being sinful, depraved, wicked creatures as fathers, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your holy heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit to them that ask him, the children that ask him? Therefore, said the Lord Jesus, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Luke chapter 11. Elijah was knocking on the windows of heaven as he put his face between his knees. He was asking the Lord to open up those windows and pour out his blessing so abundantly that there wouldn't be room enough to receive it. Lord, drench this mountain in rain. Lord, fill this auditorium with your blessing. Lord, give your servants more power than they have ever thought possible that you might be glorified in their, their service. It's not unbelief to pour out your heart in prayer, anticipating the, complete, the completion of the promise that the Lord has given. God does not look with disgust on his servant who is pleading for divine blessings. He loves to hear it. He is greatly pleased because it declares our relationship. You are the master, I am the servant. You are the father, I am the child. Lord, I need your blessings. Once again, for the seventh time, we are taught to wait on God and his timing. Faith must be patient. Elijah said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, 
go up seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, there was an answer to Elijah's prayer. Who is this servant? Where did he come from? Whatever happened to him? He appears out of nowhere and disappears again into nowhere. Why is this even a part of the story that's shared to us? If you think about it, we can just eliminate verse 43 and, and still it all comes to pass. The rains come. It wouldn't hurt the rest of the general lesson. Perhaps it wouldn't hurt the lesson. But there is a lesson in this servant as well. Reiterating things that we have said a couple of times over the last few weeks. Was this servant with Elijah at the brook Cherith? Doesn't appear so. Looks like he was absolutely alone there. Nor does it appear that he was with Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Perhaps Elijah hired this young man off the street. Perhaps he was a day laborer employed to help the older man to carry twelve big stones and build an altar and you have to deal with a big old bullock and cutting him apart and placing him up there. Maybe just to hired somebody to help him out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't give you any answers. I can't give myself any answers. It really doesn't matter. But like a good Christian employer, shall we say, Elijah was endeavoring to share his faith with this man. Look again. Look again. Look again. Seven times he was sent up to the, the pinnacle of, of Carmel, told to look out toward the Mediterranean. How many minutes separated each one of these looks? An hour? How late in the, into the evening was there enough light to see? To be honest, I'm unsure about the time of day that all this took place. Was this even the same day as the sacrifice? If you will remember, God sent his fire down from heaven at the time of the evening sacrifice, which was essentially sundown. So is all the rest of this taking place after sundown? Or was it the next day? Again, uh, I don't know. And uh, again, it's probably not important and I'm not going to worry about the timing. It was just a question that came into my mind. It took place. That's the most important thing. All of this took place. Elijah had no doubts about the coming of the rain. But his helper most likely was filled with nothing but doubt. Each visit to the top of the mountain probably weakened this man's hope. But it should have been otherwise. For Elijah, every visit to the top of the mountain meant he's that much closer to the arrival of the storm. Seven hours, seven minutes, the storm was inevitable because God had promised it. And for us, every day that our prayers are left unanswered, we're a day closer to having an answer, whatever that answer might be. Jesus said, if ye abide in me 
and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. John 15, verse number 7. Abiding in Christ suggests a fellowship so intimate that God's words and God's promises abide in us. In other words, we're asking according to his will. If we ask according to his will, he will grant it. Elijah did exactly that. He was in the will of God in praying these things. So there's no doubt in his mind or in his faith that rain was on the way. You've looked six times? Go look again. The rain is coming. Elijah shows us that faith trusts even the small things. The small things that are sent by the enormous God. On his seventh trip to the top, the servant said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And Elijah said, Go up and tell Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. The scripture says that this cloud was like a man's hand. What does that mean? I've often said, it means that it was as small as a man's hand. How do you measure something like that when you're talking about a cloud uh, two or three miles away? The size of, it was small. It was small, there's no doubt about that. But was it as small as a man's hand? Not that it's important, but perhaps this man was only saying, I see a cloud. It's, a, it's, in, it's not in the shape of a lamb. And it doesn't look like a teddy bear's face. It, it looks more like a, a man's hand. I can see, can you see the thumb? I see the four fingers. It, look, it looks like a man's hand, pretty small. The shape of the cloud isn't as important as the fact that it was a little cloud way out there over the sea. Who hath despised the day of small things? Question that the Lord asks. It should not be the Christian who despises the small things. How much water was seeping out of the hillside forming the brook Cherith? It was small, but it was enough. How much meal was in the bottom of the meal barrel at Zarephath? How much oil was there in the vat? It was enough to feed a family of three for months and months and months because that was the will of God. Small is not important to the Lord. It's like human instrumentality itself. Size is not important. Age is not important. Education is not that important. Wealth is certainly not important. In fact, when God wants something done, he usually selects the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. When God wants to glorify his name, he calls the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. According as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. As I've said at least once, maybe a couple of times, Calvary Baptist Church is the perfect size, the perfect strength to bring glory to the Lord. Because we have and are essentially nothing. We're good, good material for the Lord to glorify himself with. God hath chosen the base things of the world. And the things which are despised hath God chosen. 
Yea, and things that are not to bring to not or nothing things that are. Do you remember where we started a few weeks ago? One of the scriptures in our initial lesson was Mark chapter 9. After the transfiguration, Jesus and three of his disciples returned from the mountain going back to join the others who were struggling with an unruly crowd and with a man who had brought his demon-possessed child to be cured. And they brought the boy unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear the child and he fell on the ground and wallowing and wallowed foaming. And he, Jesus, asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And you know what? He did. The Lord did. The child was healed and the father's faith was uh, uh, increased exponentially. The Lord blessed the weak faith of that father. Yes, we desperately need the blessing of the Lord. And we need the Lord to strengthen our weak faith. Don't think that God won't help because our faith is so small. Insufficient for our big problem. The Lord is great. Whether or not our faith is large or small, lay it on him. Yes, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Faith is all about simply trusting the Lord. And it came to pass, in the meanwhile, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went on to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Once again, I point out that faith is willing to risk things for the glory of the Lord. I'm told that Jezreel, the capital of Samaria, was about 16 miles from Mount Carmel, depending on where in that mountain you began your measurement. Ahab descended from the spot where he had lunch, and he mounted his chariot and started trotting down the road toward home. But then as I visualize it in my imagination, uh, as he's trotting along, he feels a cool breeze at the back of his neck. And he turns around, and the sky is black. And he tells his driver, it's time to put your foot down. Pedal to the metal. we got to get to Jezreel before the rains come. That's what I pray for. That God would enable us to do the unthinkable for His glory. Amen. Probably Ahab got home to his dear wife just before the storm swept over the city. In the meantime, 
Elijah left his servant, tied his robe up around his waist, and wasting no time, he ran down to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was upon this man, and he ran 16 miles from Carmel to Jezreel. How old was Jeremiah, or Elijah? I don't know. What was his physical condition? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm reasonably sure that he didn't have the, a membership at, uh, at the gym working every day on the treadmill getting ready for the Boston Marathon or the Jezreel Run. Uh, he was just a fella. But the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And the Lord empowered him to run to the city. To do the unthinkable. Which is what I yearn for. I want to win a marathon for the Lord. It's going to take a long time. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's going to require faith. My question in regard to Elijah is why? For what purpose did the Lord take Elijah from off that mountain and send him to Jezreel? If I'm reading verse number 46 properly, Elijah got to the city before Ahab did. He didn't cheat. There were no rules. He went across country while Ahab went down the road. So chances are uh, the route that uh, Elijah took was more difficult than the one that Ahab was on. But he got there to the city before Ahab arrived, at least as I understand it. And why? Perhaps it was to see Ahab go into the gate of the city and just tip his hat. Say, hey, look what the Lord has done here. And honored the king just a little bit. But more importantly, I think the Lord wanted to share a message with Jezebel. You may be queen of Israel, but I am the king of queens and Elijah is my servant. Woman, you are not going to lay a finger on him. I can put him right under your nose and you will not hurt him. You will not touch him. When Ahab got home, he told his wife what had taken place on the mountain. He told her that all her false prophets and all her false doctrines were dead. Of course, Jezebel flew into a rage and declared that Elijah was a dead man walking. At this point, he wasn't hiding by the brook. At this point, he wasn't in a foreign city. At this point, he's not in a cave on Mount Sinai. He was standing invincible, untouchable, in the gate of Jezreel, right under the nose of the queen. God is not intimidated by the wicked. Right. And God's servant shouldn't be either. Faith does not make us undefeatable. That may not be a real word. But faith does link us to the God who will never be defeated. The lessons are these. Faith can hear the fulfillment of God's promise when the natural man and the unspiritual man cannot hear those things. 
Nevertheless, the blessing still rests in the hand of the Lord, and faith will sometimes be pleading with the Lord to answer the promise that he has given. Another lesson is that faith does not have to be huge in order to accomplish really large things. Go for the impossible. Plead for the unthinkable. Also, the man of faith doesn't need to fear what man or what woman might plot against him. The Lord's going to take care of us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding.